Amen. Well, it's good to be here on a Sunday good morning. First service is, you know, lately first service has been kind of the hype service. So, you know, I know it used to be, it used to be second service was fuller and people were awake and just going for it. Now first service is like that. So good job. You're representing well. So we're continuing the book of Matthew this morning. Um, we've been going through the book of Matthew on Sundays, and today we're at Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27. It says this, Now when he, being Jesus, now when he got in the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him and said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the waves, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? My first point is the storms of life will come. Yeah, right? Everybody can give an amen on that, right? According to, the, according to a study done in 1960, people are born with two innate fears. Do you know what they are? Have you heard this before? Fear of public speaking? Fear, no, not that. This innate, like from the time you're born. Like you, you haven't even been afraid to public speak yet. Falling and loud noises. Because you're a baby, right? So you don't understand a lot of stuff. But they say that from the, mo- yeah, from the moment you're born. So like born, birth is... The start. <laughs> From the moment you're born, they say fear of falling and loud noises. And what's interesting too, across cultures, across uh, societies, um, the natural reaction when you hear a loud noise is to duck. Yeah. Isn't that funny? How you just your body just naturally does that. It's like a reflex. You hear a loud noise and you duck. You hear gunfire and you're like. Like somehow this makes you less of a target. I don't know. It's just natural. The fear of falling. Some people don't have a fear of uh, heights really. They have a fear of the fall. That's why they're afraid of heights. Because they're afraid when they're up high and they fall. Then they're going to get really hurt. Right. The rest of the fears we've learned along the way as we grow up, and really it's just a defense mechanism to avoid danger. Something happens, you become afraid of it because you don't want that thing to happen to you too. So I was looking at a survey, and the surveys say that the top fears, these are the top fears, and you can help me out with this too. What do you think the number one fear is? No, public speaking. People are more afraid of doing this than death. Isn't that crazy? Public speaking is the number one fear. You know what the real number one fear is? Looking stupid in front of people. Because why else would you care? What are you afraid of public speaking for? Because you're afraid of looking stupid and people thinking that you're an idiot. You're afraid of failing. Yeah, I get it. I say it was funny because this morning, without even talking about the sermon, this morning I think I had a conversation with two or three different people that talked about public speaking and their anxiety about public speaking. I had it too. I don't like to public speak. I've just gotten really good at it after a while. You know why? Because I'm not afraid of looking stupid anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's really it. Once you consign yourself to that looking stupid is just a part of life, 
then you can just pretty much really do just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> going to the dentist. How does going to the dentist make the list? Because sometimes getting your teeth cleaned is like getting tattoos on your teeth. And I'm familiar with this. I used to have a, a dental hygienist named Hannah. And uh, she was really, really nice. It's one where you walk in and they know your name and knew my wife and everything. But man, when she was cleaning my teeth, it was just like, oh. So yeah, I get it. I'm afraid to go to the, I'm not afraid to go to the dentist. But if you're afraid to go to the dentist, I can sympathize with that. Snakes. Who's afraid of snakes? Why? I mean, seriously. Are you think you're going to get eaten by an anaconda? Like there's rationale to being afraid of snakes, but it's still like irrational a little bit. How about spiders? People freak out by spiders. Like have you ever seen somebody like there's a, a house spider on the wall in a house and people are freaked out. Go get that spider. It can't hurt you. No, no, it can't. It's just as afraid of you as you are of it. Here's one that blows my mind. These are all on the list of the top fears. Here's one that blows my mind. Mice. Why on earth is anyone afraid of mice? What can a mice do to you? And then what? Then what? Climb in your pocket? Take a nap? I don't understand. Here's one. How about enclosed spaces? Yeah, I've seen this before. People afraid of enclosed spaces. Now, if you're a firefighter, you can't be afraid of closed spaces. And they'll root this out immediately. I remember one of the exercises that we did at um, uh, the academy was that there was this big air conditioner. It was probably, it could have been like 10 by 10. And there's probably, it must have been six inches probably between it and the wall. No, it's probably more than that. It felt like six inches, but you had to crawl behind it. With all your gear on and helmet. It's so tight that you have to kind of take your helmet off and cock it like this. And take the pack off and like drag it. And you're doing one of these like toe shuffle things. Yeah, if you are afraid of enclosed spaces, you will not make it as a firefighter. You just won't. But all of these things really focus on perceived danger. Not actual physical danger. Public speaking will not kill you. Mice... Unless you get hantavirus, will not kill you. It's irrational. It's perceived danger, not actual harm. But in the story we're looking at this, at this morning, the disciples were mostly fishermen, and they knew firsthand the dangers that storms at sea would bring. We look at, sometimes we look at, or me, I'll have to say, sometimes I look at things like the Red Sea, the Sea of Galilee, whatever, as like a, it's Lake Washington. And you're going to get out there and somehow a storm's going to come on Lake Washington. And then, then what? Your boat capsizes so you swim to the shore. It's no big deal, right? But these are seas like gigantic. Like you can't see from one side to the other. When you're out in the middle, these things are huge. And they, it was not uncommon for a big fierce uh, squall or storm to happen on the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't uncommon. Now it may have been unexpected. But it wasn't uncommon, and the disciples knew that they could lose everything out in the open sea. They were fishermen. They had probably lost people in that same manner. 
When they got on this boat, they knew there was real risk and danger of what could happen when they got out there. But one of the first things that jumped out of the scriptures to me uh, about this scripture that I really liked, it said, um, now when Jesus got in the boat, his disciples followed him. The potential for danger didn't stop them from following Jesus. Now, it's difficult for our brains to recognize the difference between real danger and perceived danger. And some people, uh, like just when I said that, some people are like, nope, I can tell the difference. Can you, though? Because you were the same person who raised your hand to be afraid of mice and spiders. (laughs) Our Our brain is different than our intellect. So our brain will react to things. And that's why I talk about like social media and the news and things like that. Our brains see these, even if they're fake videos, and it will react to it. As if it's something real that's right in front of you. Your brain just triggers it. Chemical responses, all sorts of stuff. But your intellect may say, that's not real or that can't hurt me. It's logical. You say, well, I mean, look, think of it like watching one of those GoPro videos where someone's doing like flips on their bike or, or the one Pastor Matt showed us a few weeks ago where that guy was on that wingsuit, that squirrel wingsuit thing flying. We all did it. Oh, oh. It's not going to hurt you. You are not wearing the wingsuit. You are just watching the video. But our bodies can't help but react when we see other people facing danger. Have you ever had that feeling like when you see somebody trip hard, like they hit hard and you feel the pain? You're like, oh. Yeah, you're not in real physical pain, but you feel it because you're, you're perceiving it with your brain and your brain is causing this reaction to happen. It just happens. Your body triggers the fight or flight mechanism when you feel like there's danger about. Your heart races, your hands get sweaty, the adrenaline dumps. Some of you feel this way when you're getting ready to do some public speaking. You start forgetting stuff. Your eyes kind of tunnel vision. You're ready for action. You're ready to run or you're ready to fight. And this trigger can happen whether you want it to or not. It just does. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm a firefighter. I've been a firefighter for 18 years. And over those 18 years, I've been on some really ugly emergency calls. It just happens. And it will happen again. I guarantee it. I got at least seven years left, maybe 10 or more. And it's going to happen again. Um, September 2012, it was the first weekend after school had started. It was a beautiful sunny day out, and I'm with uh, a crew. We were at a fire station. There was two crews at the same fire station in this area. We were just mixing up crews so some people could go to training, and I was filling in for the officer just for a couple hours, just while they were at training. What harm could happen in a couple of hours? Well, a 12-year-old accidentally hung himself. Yeah. He was out, super excited, just got a GoPro video camera. He was out riding his bike, trying to get some good GoPro footage, and he's got a zip line in his backyard. Well, he gets up on the zip line to take some really good footage, and the zip line gets stuck. So he has to get down. So he goes to jump to get down. The seat harness catches his helmet, and he hangs himself. So we get dispatched to a 12-year-old DOA. Well, 12-year-olds just aren't DOAs. It's not like he had a heart attack. It's not like he had too many birthdays. So your brain starts going, what's going on here and creating a picture. Then it comes over the radio that he may be 20 feet up in the air. So now I'm the boss. I'm coming into this thing first. 
and I have a child who is probably dead or severely injured 20 feet in the air. Do you think I knew what to do? No. It's not in a book anywhere. You don't just turn to that page in the guide manual. No. It's alarming. My kids were 13 and 10 at the time. Traumatic scene. It was crazy. Didn't have a clue what I was going to do. We were, we, our plan was to try to put a ladder up. I mean, it's as high as the ceiling. Our plan was to put a ladder up. If that didn't work, I swear I had no clue what we were going to do. Not a clue. We got there. We put the ladder up. It worked. His parents are collapsing in a pile in the front yard, hugging each other. Look back at the house and there's little brothers and sisters in the window watching what's going on. And we're out there doing whatever we can because you don't let go when it's a little kid. Triggered hypervigilance, stress. I'm in the back of the the, uh, medic rig doing CPR as they start bringing the younger siblings, the bishop, the parents in to say goodbye in the back of the in the medic rig because they knew it was coming so they wanted to say goodbye before they called it how many people have like that pit in your stomach right now you feel sick don't you yeah you weren't there but you your brain is triggering this response of interacting with this thing of this danger and this hurt you get hyper vigilant. You start looking for danger everywhere. You get stressed. You want to avoid things. You start isolating and building walls to protect yourself. It's interesting. I spent many, many years constantly wanting to quit my job. Of course, I don't have any other skills. So what am I going to do? <laughs> Dig ditches? I just wanted to quit. No, I can't probably can't even do that well. <laughs> but I could learn. So you want that's flight. Quit your job. Run away. Flight. Or being hypervigilant and super aggressive about looking for danger. Do not get me started on kids running free in the parking lot. Let's not talk. You probably haven't noticed, but I specifically position myself to not see it because it drives me crazy. Because how many times do you have to see kids get run over by cars before you like hold on to your kids in the parking lot, right? You probably hear us say it all the time. It's crazy, right? But that's me. Constantly worrying, bracing for the next thing to happen. It only makes you weaker. I talked to a psychologist. I said, hey, is me being hypervigilant and looking for danger around every corner making me more prepared to handle it when it happens? And she said, no, it's not. (laughs) It's making it worse for you because all you are is tired and stressed out. So when something does happen, you will not be ready for it. Great. I can't control the emergency calls that I will be sent to, but I can control my thoughts and my mind. That's what I can control. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 through 8 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Not on the bad stuff, not on people freaking out on videos, not on tragic things that could happen in the world, 
on the good things, the things of the Lord. Meditate on these things. Think about those things constantly. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says, Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So you may not be able to control the physical reaction within your body. You may not be able to control the sweaty hands and the, and the stomach feelings. But you can control your thoughts and mind. Fear will come. Work at controlling your thoughts and eventually your body will follow. I'm not up here sweaty handed and nervous because I'm public speaking. Why? Because I've been doing it for a dozen years. Eventually you just get used to it and you start to control those things because I'm controlling my mind. Well, I struggled with PTSD for many years and it was difficult for everyone involved. My kids, my wife, my friends, some people noticed and said, hey, man, is everything okay? Because it seems like something's wrong. And I'd be like, nothing's wrong. Everything's great. I saw doctors, therapists. I made job adjustments. I was told I should leave my job um, uh, because the pain and the scars will never go away. So quit your job and, and do what? Like you can avoid the pain of the world. Like just because you don't go there for a living doesn't mean it's not just going to happen to you anywhere. I sincerely prayed for years and tried to lay it down at the altar a dozen times to no avail. Just because you came to the altar and tried to lay it down and it didn't work doesn't mean that God doesn't work. You just have to keep trying. After dozens of tries, finally at a men's advance, and I think it was 2018, I finally came to the altar and laid it down and Jesus healed me. And my whole mind shift changed. My whole life changed. Not that it's never hard. Not that feelings never come up. But I can deal with it through Christ. Amen. Men's Advance coming to you, coming near you, 2021, <laughs> August 12th through 14th. Sign up on the app. <laughs> I said men's, right? Yeah, no, men's. Women, you got another time for you. I know the danger and the very real potential of getting hurt again. In fact, I would guarantee before my career is over, there will be another call that's just as bad as that one. There will be. But just like the disciples, I will continue to follow Jesus onto the boat. I know the danger and very real potential of getting hurt again. But just like the disciples, I will continue to follow Jesus and get on the boat. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. That's what you get from God. That fear, that anxiety that builds up into you, your brain triggering a response at at perceived danger. It can be overcome because God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you a spirit of love and a sound mind. Trusting Jesus is an action. The more you do it, the better you become at it. But it's okay to be scared sometimes. It just is. You can't necessarily control that, that you're scared. What you can control is what you do about it. You can control the actions you take in faith, even though sometimes you feel scared. Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Jesus wasn't upset when the disciples woke him up to share their fears. Did you notice that? 
He didn't get mad at them for waking him up and saying, hey, we're freaked out right now, Jesus. He corrected them, though, for letting their fears control them. Jesus wants you to come to him with your struggles and fears and your concerns. You think you're going to perish and you're freaking out? Come to him. Shake him awake and say, Jesus, I need you right now. But don't let the fear of those things control you or make you spiral. My second point is this. Why is your faith so little? Little faith. It's used five times in the book of Matthew. The term refers to a lack of faith in a specific event rather than an ongoing insufficient faith or uh, insufficient faith or permanent failure. So when he says you a little faith, he's talking about like you failed in your faith this one time right now. Why you have little faith in this moment. If someone were to lack faith constantly, it would be considered unbelief. So in the Bible, it says you have uh, of unbelief. It means like consistently you were lacking faith as if you don't even have it at all. You don't really believe. But if he says you have little faith, it's more directed towards uh, you've, you had your moment of to be faithful and you missed it. To trust Jesus and you missed it. Simply put, it means that in the moment their faith was tested, the disciples came up short. They had a moment, they were tested, and they failed the test. They have had the signs that Jesus is the Messiah. They've seen him do miracles. But now in the midst of physical danger, they didn't understand God's protection. They missed their moment to show their faith. They just We just got done seeing him heal family members. He's cleansed lepers. Uh, next week, we'll hear him casting out demons. I mean, he's showing himself to fulfill all the things of the Messiah they're looking for. This isn't just like everybody was doing it and they picked him out of the crowd. Nobody's doing this. Their minds are blown. They're like, who could this possibly be? And then he calms the storm. And now they're just losing their minds. Like, I don't understand what's going on here. When the moment comes, you have to recognize it and be ready. That's something I've worked on a lot over the years too. Let me tell you an example of, I think it was the very first emergency call I went on. Just got out of the academy and no experience at all. I don't know why they hired me. I have a good smile maybe. Somehow I tricked them into... (laughs) I said, I have a good smile and my brother's just shaking his head. Mm -mm. No. Clearly that's not the reason. So anyways, we had just got out of the academy. I haven't done any of this before. I'm not an EMT. I don't know anything about this medical stuff. And so we're on the first call. And so I, me and uh, somebody else, we're shadowing the crew that is actually doing the emergency call. So we're basically standing in the background and watching. So this guy, who's clearly afraid of confined spaces, uh, was trapped in an elevator. And he went berserk in this elevator. Like he smashed everything. Like we finally got the elevator open. Well, they got the elevator open as I watched. And there's like... Um, fluorescent tube debris everywhere. I mean, he's covered in glass. He's freaked out. Got a couple little cuts. He's all sweaty and just freaked out. Like, geez, Louise. And so he gets out of the thing. And my boss at the time uh, was less compassionate 
than you might expect in, in light of the situation. And was just really mad at how this guy was acting. And we get him sat down on a bench and I'm just kind of standing off to the side. And so they're trying to give him aid. They want to take his blood pressure and stuff. But he, the, the, now the patient is really mad at them because they're throwing attitude. Everybody's throwing attitude. Everybody's upset and sweaty and covered in glass. So he looks at me and he goes, I'll let that guy do it. And he points right to me. I'm seriously like 12 feet away from this guy. And he's like, that guy. And so what I could have done, I'll tell you what I could have done first. What I could have done is channeled my inner ER and walked over there like George Clooney and been like, okay, sir, let me take care of you. And just like, I don't know, wrapped it on, you know, listen to his chest, something. If I had gone over there and I'd just done something, take his pulse, you know, something, he would have calmed down a little bit. He would have got comfortable with people touching him. And then I could have easily been like, hey, get over here and you do it for real because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. What I did do was like, oh, oh, oh. Because the crew was like, yeah, man, come on over. Come on over. And I'm like, oh, but I don't know. I've never done this before. Dude, so many <laughs> missed opportunity. I had a chance to take some action, but I was not mentally prepared to do it. My option passed me by. My opportunity to, to be there and take some action in the situation passed me by because I wasn't mentally prepared. And the disciples are on the boat. They know there could be danger. And they know that Jesus is showing signs of being able to do miracles. He's the Messiah. They're like, they're seeing this happen. The storm happens and they miss their opportunity to say, ha, ah, this is my chance to exercise my faith. Jesus won't let us die. Our faith should be huge by now because we have the Bible full, full of examples of what faith is supposed to look like. Like to a certain extent, I, I sympathize with the disciples in their plight because we look at them in hindsight and we say, how could those guys not figure it out? Well, it was new. <laughs> they just met the man. We're over here like 2,000 years later, like, okay, surprised you can figure that one out. I don't know. I, I think I would have been like, oh, what? Jesus? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, wait, really? I sympathize. But we have the whole Bible of examples of what faith looks like. We get to see it again and again. We get to see all his fruitfulness and all the blessings and, and how God's been faithful over thousands and thousands of years. We get to read all of this. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You have the word of God. When we've been going through uh, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter on Wednesday nights. So I would encourage you to go back. We've had... Um, um, we've gone over it for probably four or five weeks. There's been some really good sermons talking about the the faith of the the saints, the people in the past, and we can learn from that. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 says this, Now faith is the substance or realization of things hoped for and the evidence or confidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Chapter 11 is full of testimonies of the saints and their powerful faith that we can learn from. We get that advantage and benefit. 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You may have small faith in the, you may have had small faith in the past, but you can change that. You must be saved, believe in the scriptures and love and obey the Lord and your faith will grow. First John chapter five, verses three through five. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that we have overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. That's where the name of this church comes from. Faith and Victory Church. My third point is this. Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. Uh, so the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be? Or literally, what sort of man is this? Did they ask this rhetorically or in utter disbelief? Sometimes, like, I listen to that and I say, like, what was their frame of mind when this happened? This is Jesus. They just see this miracle. He calms the storm. This just doesn't happen. It's not like the storm clouds passed. Everything became eerily calm and still. And they say, what kind of man is this? Were they saying that like when they're watching LeBron play basketball? Whoa, what kind of man is that that can slam the ball? No, I think they were just uh, overwhelmed and blown away. Was it rhetorical? Were they looking to each other for an answer? Hey, what kind of man can do something like this? I don't know. No. I don't think they were looking to each other for an answer. I think they were just still confused and failing to understand what they were seeing. Jesus has already shown them that he's the Messiah by healing the sick, cleansing the lepers. Now he's showing them that he can control the weather. Why is this a symbol of him being the Messiah? Well, let's look in the book of Psalms. Psalms 89.9. You rule the raging of, of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. And Psalms 107, 23 through 32 says this. Those who go down in the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy winds, uh, which lift up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their souls melt because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wits end. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distress. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, the man would give thanks to the Lord of his uh, Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. How interesting that this of Speaking of the Lord is presented in Psalms, but also we see this very real, almost exact story presented with Jesus as the Lord in the book of Matthew. The connection can't even be more clear. I think this is why Jesus allowed the storm to happen in the first place, to show, to show them that he is the Lord and Savior. 
I mean, sometimes I think we pray, maybe most of the time we pray that the storm would leave us rather than recognizing that the storm is there to build your faith in the Lord Jesus who can save you from that and protect you. If the storm had just passed and they had never cried out to the Lord, would they know that it was the Lord God who had saved them? No, they would have made up some other reason. The story of Jesus calming the storm, the story of Jesus calming the storm is for you to know that he's the savior too. It's for you to have faith in the storms of your life. Because just like they're discovering, Jesus Christ is the Lord and savior. Some music. John chapter 14 verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to his richness and grace. It's easy sometimes to look at these stories in the Bible and look at them just just like it's just a story that happened to somebody else. But to really put yourselves in that situation where your body physically reacts to the story that you're hearing is a place you need to be to understand, to recognize that the Lord Jesus is your Lord and Savior. He's here to save you from the storm. You can trust him. You can believe in him. I mean, we'd be remiss if we sat here on a Sunday and didn't talk about the Lord's saving grace. To let you walk out of here and not know that that salvation is for you too. Now, maybe you're in this place and you're someone who already knew that. But you you don't look at it as if you're the one in the story. You don't look at your life as one where Jesus is interacting and trying to save you. And hopefully this morning was a reminder to you that that's the case. When you're complaining or crying out through the troubles of the storms, big or small in your life, the Lord Jesus is there to support you, to see you through it, and for you to trust him. But you could be in this place this morning and you may have never heard that before. Or maybe it was never real to you before. Maybe you never really thought about the idea that uh, how Jesus' saving grace connects to you until now that you can put yourself in the story. So why don't we bow our heads? I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to the Lord this morning. There's no better time, no better place. But if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to say, I'm a sinner who needs a savior, I want Jesus Christ to be my savior, and I want to live for him and trust in him alone. If that's you and you want to do that for the very first time, we want to pray with you. We want to pray with you, and we want to meet with you in this process of of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So if that's you, and this is your first time, never done it before, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today, why don't you just raise your hand? And just let me know that that's you today. There's no better time, no better place. If you're in here today and you do know the Lord and you've been reminded of the great things he can do for you, I want you to hold on to that feeling and bring it with you as you go. Um, Let's pray to close this out. Lord Jesus, we just love you. We give you so much praise. Lord, you are our Savior. We just give you glory. We love you. Lord God, we can't do it without you. Go with us as we go, Lord God, and keep us safe and protected. But above all, we want to keep you on our minds, Lord God. In your holy name, amen. 
Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.